0: I'm E.G. Marshall. Welcome to another hour of mystery and suspense. To a terrifying experiment in supernatural power. An experiment by a retired scientist to direct his wife's subconscious mind to shoot him. Our mystery drama, The Breaking Point, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Hank Warner and stars Roger DeCoven. It is sponsored in part by the Kellogg Company, makers of Kellogg's Special K cereal, and by new sugar-free diet 7-Up. I'll be back shortly with Act One.
1: And now another story of the ball and chain as Kellogg Special K presents Veronica and Jack.
2: Oh, Jeffrey, isn't this romantic? Out in a quiet lake at night
1: with you rowing the boat. Yes, Veronica, it's really neat. Jeffrey, what was that? Uh,
2: frogs. Frogs that go bong. Uh, they're pretty weird frogs. Oh, Jeffrey, you're such a car. You have a ball and chain. Not like the ones they use in those Special K commercials.
3: Yes, Veronica,
1: it symbolizes my few pounds of extra weight. But I'm going to get rid of it. How? Uh, by exercising.
2: You know, like rowing this boat and eating smart at every meal. Starting with a Special K breakfast. You mean a one-ounce of high-protein Special K, four ounces of skim milk, orange juice, and coffee? Uh, precisely. It's less than 240 calories, and it tastes delicious. It'll help me
1: get rid of this ball and
2: shame. I'll help, too, Jeff. After all, we're all in the same boat. You have a ball and
3: shame, too.
1: Your happy ending could begin with a Special K breakfast from Kellogg's. There's a very special deal going on at all offices of Suburban Savings throughout North Jersey. It's called Suburban Special Interest Deal... And you'll be especially interested in the savings you get. A top 7.90% effective annual yield on Suburban's limited issue 7.50% savings certificate. And Suburban guarantees it for from 4 to 10 years minimum deposit $2,500. Early withdrawal prior to maturity is subject to a substantial penalty. Suburban compounds interest continuously from day of deposit paid quarterly. So you not only get interest on your savings, you get interest on the interest and Suburban offers you the highest interest rate allowed by law. Here's your chance to get a great savings, a top 7.90% effective annual yield on Suburban's limited-issue 7.50% savings certificate. Why not deal yourself into Suburban Savings Special Interest Deal in Bayonne, Edgewater, Elmwood Park, Emerson, Hackettstown, Morris Plains, Nutley, Paramus, and Sparta.
0: with me in this ambulance, speeding through the midnight fog across the Golden Gate Bridge to St. Francis Hospital in downtown San Francisco, as the trauma emergency team tries with plasma and oxygen to keep critically wounded Professor William Baker alive. The driver and the two doctors know that the patient must get to the operating room in minutes Now, quickly, up this hospital corridor as the patient is wheeled into the operating room, stand outside the door and listen as they try to save him. And maybe you'll learn what Professor Baker tried to learn about the dark mystery of life and death. Scalpel. Glunt.
2: The patient's failing, Doctor. Blood pressure. 62
4: over 40. Adrenaline. I can hear them trying to save me. But I'm going to die. And I want you to know that I'm dying. All because I made my wife murder me. Yes, I am dying. Because I conducted an experiment to influence my wife's subconscious mind to the point where she was going to murder me. Listen. Listen carefully. I will tell you exactly what happened. And when I have completed what I desire to communicate, go to the police. Tell them if you dare. I say dare. For it will require courage. It began this afternoon when Dr. Philip Simpson, the brilliant young brain surgeon, drove up in his station wagon from Palo Alto to address the San Francisco Medical Society and spend the night with us at the cottage Helen, my wife, and I had rented in the wooded hillside just across the Golden Gate Bridge, overlooking the ocean. He brought Chiche... One of two capuchin monkeys he kept under observation in his research laboratory. It's good to see you, Philip. It's so
5: good to see you, Professor Baker. So, that's Chi-Chi. Yes, he wants to get out. <laughs> Quiet town, Chi-Chi. Come on, you can come out. <laughs> Hello, Chi-Chi. <laughs> oh, you want to shake hands, too, of course. Welcome, Chi-Chi. Very affectionate. Astounding talent for mimicry. Oh,
3: dear. (laughs)
5: Get off, Professor Baker's shoulder, Chi-Chi. Come on down. (laughs) He likes your hat. No, Chi-Chi. No. (laughs) All right. Now you've tried it on. Give it back. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Chi-Chi. He gets tired of wearing his black skull cap. Chi-Chi, let go of my hand. you You go on by yourself. He's always curious about new surroundings. Probably wants to explore that grove of trees. Well, go on, go on, Gigi. <laughs> he won't go far. He'll play for a while and come back.
4: Beautiful place you have here, Professor Baker. Is Helen home? Oh, she'll be back shortly. Had some shopping in the village. She just had to have abalone for you. She remembered how much you enjoy
5: abalone steak. Oh, Steve. wonderful, wonderful. How is she? You and Helen certainly could not
4: have found a lovelier place for
5: retirement.
4: It is rather isolated, but then it does have that increasingly rare commodity, peace and quiet. Let's walk around back. Just beautiful. This view. Um, how about a cocktail? Well, why don't we wait for Helen? Well, she ought to be back any minute. We usually have our evening cocktail in the study. It gets foggy on the patio towards sundown. What about Chi Chi?
5: <laughs> He'll be all right. He'll open the patio door if it's left unlocked. Gets hysterical if he thinks he's been locked up. <laughs> Still like dry Manhattan? Perfect. Did you uh, tell Helen that you had asked me to bring TT? I
4: uh, intended to. Slipped my mind. Yeah? Ah, thank you. Well, cheers. Hmm.
5: Ah, that's good as ever. I, I hope Helen won't be upset.
4: I'm sure she won't. I rather think she'll be intrigued with the idea of having Chi-Chi here for our experiments. What, you mean she's working with you on the research? Oh, yes. She's very cooperative.
5: Finds it lots of fun. Well, wow, that is interesting. Is she as intrigued as you seem to be with psychic studies?
4: Well, frankly, I don't believe so. She's been very cooperative, but I don't think she really approves. Oh? Well, sometimes I question the wisdom of having married... At my age. Oh, come on now. I remind you, Philip. Helen is 20 years younger. I sometimes have the feeling she feels trapped. Misses the activities of faculty wives she so enjoyed in the years before my retirement. Perhaps we'd had children. Philip, Helen should have married you when you were both graduate students. Well, there's... There's there's nothing happened between you. No, Philip, not yet, but... Well, don't tell me that you,
5: Professor Baker, an eminent physicist for 40 years with worldwide reputation for scientific integrity, has succumbed to. to clairvoyance. And you, Phillips,
4: do you have irrefutable proof that clairvoyance does not ever exist? Can you issue an assurance that something will not happen? Oh, well, that's Helen now. Hello. Oh. Philip! Philip! Hello, Helen. As I look back now to that moment when Dr. Simpson and I waited for Helen to come into the house, I fully realize that the quick flush that passed over his tense face meant the one thing I had been blind to, that he was still in love with her. Helen entered the room with packages in her arms. She threw them on the sofa, rushed towards him, her face glowing with pleasure, embraced him and kissed his cheek. Hugged him. Oh,
2: Philip, it's so
4: good to see good you. Good to see you. Oh, let me look at you. <laughs> oh, it's so good to see you. Neither one of them saw Chi Chi open the door from the garden, come into the room, climb a table, and spring onto her shoulder, its furry paws around her neck.
5: <laughs> Chi Chi, come down, Chi Chi. Let go of her. Now come down. There, now stay down.
2: <laughs> it's, it's a monkey. Oh, I, I, I couldn't imagine what it, oh, All I saw and felt were hairy paws <laughs> It's all right, Gigi oh. It's all right oh. Just be quiet oh.
5: I'm, I'm so sorry he scared you, Colin He was trying to be affectionate Yeah,
2: well, I sure can do with a drink. <laughs> oh. Here you are, dear oh, Thank you oh, he, he is cute But uh, why the black skullcap? cap?
5: Well, you might say aesthetic reasons.
2: Aesthetic?
4: Or cosmetic. Philip doesn't like his little wards running around in public with their brains exposed.
2: Brains exposed?
4: Yes, that's right, Helen.
5: The skull cap covers Chi-Chi's plastic skull. Now, I'll show you. There you are.
2: Well, you can see its brain. It's it's positively fascinating. Mm. It's almost unbelievable. Oh, Philip, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant surgery. Wait, wait
5: a minute, Helen. I'm just carrying on what was begun in 1948 at the Naval Medical Research Institute in
4: Bethesda, Maryland.
2: Really? I I had no idea such surgery was possible that far back.
4: Helen, my dear, there's a big gap in your knowledge of surgery. The ancient Egyptians operated on cranial bone. Mm
5: Mm-hmm, that's correct. Look here, Helen. Surgeons in a series of four operations removed cranial bone from the shaved head. And when the skull healed, fitted the metal ring around the edge of the skull, sealing the joint with rosin and wax. The clear plastic skull is held in place by these six steel bolts. It's
2: marvelous. Simply marvelous. Oh,
5: it's practically routine now.
2: Well, why was it done, Philip?
5: Well, to study through the plastic skull, as I'm still studying, the flow of blood when the monkeys are in an induced state of shock. Or under the influence of anesthesia or drugs like adrenaline, histamine. And, of course, reactions to cold, hunger... Diet, fear, tension, so forth. Uh, incidentally, I'm, I'm leaving Chi-Chi here for a while.
2: Here?
4: Oh, I'm sorry, Helen. I simply forgot to tell you. Yes,
2: but why? I mean, why is it being left here?
4: What Philip is too polite to say, my dear, is that he's loaning Chi-Chi to me for extrasensory and paranormal experiments to make my own observations. I believe he hopes to convince me that the brain monkeys or mans fails to respond. With a measurable reaction to mental energy messages. Exactly.
2: Look, I'm curious. Why must the experiment be with a monkey, when a dog, a a horse?
4: Philip understands, don't
5: you, Philip? Well, Helen, in the scale of intelligence among animals, the monkey has the highest ability to learn next to man.
2: Oh. Oh, Philip, what time is your lecture?
5: Well, I should be at the academy by eight.
2: Good. Give us enough time for another cocktail. And not have to rush through dinner. Uh, Darling, please shake up another round. I'll take these packages to the kitchen.
5: Well, here, here, let me carry them in.
2: Oh, well, just, just put them on the counter, Philip. Mm Mm-hmm.
5: Anything else I can help you with? Just show me where things are. I'll help set the table. What is it, Helen? You all right?
2: Yes. The table. The table.
5: What are you talking about? I said I'd help set the table.
2: Oh, well, later. Let's let's have our drink and talk. There's so much to catch up with, Philip. More coffee, Philip. Mm, yes, please. Oh, have some more of the strawberries, Philip, and ice cream.
5: Well, just just a little. <laughs> Helen, what you've been telling me
4: is hardly believable. Well, there's no room for disbelief, Philip. There's evidence. Evidence? Yes. I'll get the drawings. Excuse me. Be right back. They're in the study. I don't like it, Helen.
5: Do you have these dizzy spells often?
4: Well, they've
2: been more frequent recently. Well, you
5: should stop participating in such experiments. I'll talk to William.
2: Oh, please don't. Please. Here
4: we are. Philip, look at these rough line drawings. Do they suggest recognizable objects.
2: Hmm.
5: Well, this this might be an apple, I guess. This, uh, well, suggests a knife. You can't see anything in this one. Meaningless lines.
4: Yes, that one is meaningless. Note the dates on the drawings. About a month ago, I sat at this table with three objects in my hands. An apple, a knife, and a salt shaker. Helen was stretched out on her back in the bedroom, her mind clear of any thoughts or feelings, awaiting my energy message. She could not hear me. She could only receive my thoughts, my instructions. I sent a message for her to pick up the pad and pencil on the night table. I sent an energy message telling her I was holding an apple, a knife, and a salt shaker, and for her to draw them. She got two out of three. (laughs) You ask
5: me to accept this as evidence that you can control the actions of the mind of a person who is out of your sight, out of the sound of your voice, even physically in another place? No, I call it coincidence, accident.
2: It did happen, Philip. In many other experiments we did together, it took me months of training to achieve a state of receptivity.
5: Well, that's all very interesting, but I'd better soon be on my way to the academy.
4: I can see you're still skeptical. Can you spare three more minutes for another, as you say, interesting experiment now, right here with Helen? With Helen? I'd rather not.
2: I don't mind, Philip.
4: All right, very well. Thank you, Helen. Lie down in the bedroom. I'll give you two minutes to achieve receptivity. I will repeat once more, Helen. Come back. Pick up the coffee pot and pour the coffee right on your fine lace tablecloth. You're not going to let her
5: know this gong will stop her.
2: More coffee, Philip.
5: Uh, I, I really should be going.
2: Oh, yes, before the bridge traffic gets heavy.
4: Here, I'll help you carry these things to the kitchen. He followed her into the kitchen carrying a tray. The brilliant Dr. Simpson had been puzzled. Are you all right, he had asked her. Dr. Simpson, who recognized only the physical laws of matter, had asked, are you all right? But she wasn't all right. Dr. Simpson didn't know then what the trouble was. But late that night, when he returned from his lecture, he found out about the experiment that was underway with the loaded gun in the night table.
0: I'll be back shortly with act two.
2: Hello. Ms. Goldilocks here, and welcome to my professional taste-testing laboratory. Oh, Papa Bear, uh-huh. could you bring that case of Sugar-Free Diet 7-Up over here?
5: Another case? Miss Goldilocks, you're drinking the Sugar-Free Diet 7-Up like there's no tomorrow. You can't still be taste-testing it.
2: Oh, no, Papa Bear. Sugar-Free Diet 7-Up has already earned my seal of approval. It's fresh, light, natural. Delicious. I drink it because I love it taste. Now hurry up!
5: Okay, okay, here. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. This sugar-free diet 7-Up really tastes delicious. Ladies, if you're tired of switching from one diet drink to another, take some advice from Ms. Goldilocks. Try sugar-free diet 7-Up and you'll say yes, this one's just right!
5: I'll bear witness to that,
2: Goldie. (laughs)
1: Hey, Mom, what's for dinner? Hey, Mom, what you got? What's for dinner? Your Shoprite is featuring Shoprite or Shenandoah brand Grade A Rock Cornish hens. A real family treat at just 47 cents a pound. What's for breakfast? Listen to these ShopRite values. ShopRite grade A large eggs, 59 cents a dozen. ShopRite sliced bacon, one pound package, 79 cents. ShopRite grade AA butter, one pound brick, 69 cents. Crown top white bread, 22 Loaves, three for a dollar. Save on every meal at ShopRite.
3: She loves the family. She wants the best. She does all that she
2: can do. She lets ShopRite do the rest. Hey, ma, what's for dinner? ShopRite has the answer.
1: WOR New York, your mystery theater station.
4: didn't wait up for Dr. Simpson to return I waited in the study dark but for the small lamp on my desk and still except for the soft breathing of Chi Chi asleep in the shadowy corner of the sofa I waited and read until I could be sure that Helen was sound asleep I unlocked my desk and took out the one notebook I kept hidden from her and made an entry the experiment is beginning to show results Today, Helen reacted with an unmistakable manifestation of dizziness and mental depressiveness when Dr. Simpson mentioned the word table. I am convinced that the subject has reached the stage of complete susceptibility and receptiveness. Then I continued the experiment. I stared in the direction of the bedroom door and concentrated... I shut out every sight and sound and thought until I was oblivious to everything but the task at hand. Helen, there is a gun in the night table. In the night table, Helen. In the night table, a gun, Helen. In the night table, a gun. Helen, Professor Baker. Yes? What? What are you doing? Experimenting. Where's Helen? Lying down in the bedroom. Close the door, won't you? Professor, what is this experiment? It's a very simple experiment. I'm trying to reach a mind. Now, if you'll excuse me. Helen... There is a gun in the night table. Stop it! Stop! Why, you're shaking, Dr. Simpson. What are you up to? I'm simply trying to tell Helen there is a gun in the night table by her bed. And for her to, to what? To pick it up, enter this room... Point the gun at me and pull the trigger. But why? Why? What I'm trying to determine is whether one mind can influence another by exerting mental energy to do something the subject would normally recoil from doing. Yes, yes, go on. In Helen's case, I'm sure that in her conscious hours, she would never even entertain the thought of shooting me. I'm trying to determine whether she can be made to do just that without her being aware ...that she is being impelled to do so. But why? What, What would it prove? Prove? Don't you see? If one mind can control another across space... ...think of the power men of goodwill can exercise over evil... ...it will at long last give man control over the rapacious breed... ...that makes civilization a nightmare... The evil, power-hungry men who brainwashed their countrymen into one war after another. Uh,
5: Professor, how long has this been going on? For weeks. Every
4: night. You recall Helen's depressiveness this evening? When you mentioned the word table?
5: Uh, you mean... Yes.
4: The reaction. Results. My mind is beginning to control her subconscious. You, you witnessed it, Philip. And now, have you the scientific integrity and the courage to witness the experiment carried through? I have conditioned her to come in when the clock strikes midnight. In a few minutes now.
5: What? What do you mean? Do I have the courage? Yes.
4: To stand by and not interfere when or if she's about to pull the trigger to kill me. You... You mean the gun is loaded? Of course it is. But why not blank bullets? The experiment must be carried out with all factors of reality to eliminate all possibility of interference from her extrasensory perception. I I don't understand. Don't you see her extrasensory perception could signal her subconscious mind that the gun is harmless and the experiment would prove nothing? Professor Baker, I, I simply cannot
5: understand how a man like you, who's devoted 40 years to the science of physics, can suddenly on retirement from scholastic life, devote all his time to such, such... elusive matters as parapsychology, mental telepathy, clairvoyance, fantastic nonsense!
4: You sound very dogmatic for a man of science, Dr. Simpson. With
5: all due respect to your sincerity in your experiments, Professor Baker... the vast array of scientific knowledge still supports the theory that human behavior... ...can be traced directly to the physical and chemical factors of the human
4: body. And you think Chi-Chi will convince me of that? Precisely. You allow for no distinction between man and the monkey. None. None. Both are animals. Listen to me, Philip. You've been trying to dissuade me. Oh, I'm quite aware of that. Now let me try to convince you. All right, I'm listening. From the time the British Society for Psychical Research was founded in 1882 right through the present worldwide experimentation to pierce the veil of the unknown. The one thing that has been missing is the willingness of scientists of unquestioned integrity to conduct their own experiments. The time has come, Philip, for researchers like you and me to settle once and for all what is or is not possible, is or is not true in paranormality.
5: If I consent to witness your experiment, will you promise me that if it fails, tonight, now, you will never again experiment with Helen's mind?
4: Yes. But, Philip, I can see you're still afraid that the experiment will succeed and that she could shoot me. I'll put you at ease, this gong that stopped her from pouring the coffee on the table. Here, you hold it. And if you think the situation... Warrants. Strike the gong. Very well. Proceed. He stood by the door to the study. One hand holding the brass gong by its silk braid. His eyes watching the clock on the mantel, as it started to strike midnight. Chi-Chi, awakened by the clock in our raised voices, was nervously pacing back and forth across the top of the back of the sofa. Philip watched the door. I sensed he was prepared if Helen failed to respond to the gong. He would strike the gun out of her hand. I resumed the experiment. Pick up the gun. Come into the study, Helen. The study, Helen. Helen walked in. Her eyes fixed and staring. Her arms at her side. Her right hand slightly behind her. Philip, mouth open, unable to utter a word, watching her. Point the gun at me. Pull the trigger. Helen! Dr. Simpson dropped the gun. Rushed to me as I slumped over the desk. Good God. The bullet hit in my chest. Helen! Towels, adhesive tape. It's a chest wound. Have to keep him from sucking in air. He looked up from examining the wound. One glance told him she didn't hear or understand. He ran to the bathroom, got towels and the tape. Helen, call an ambulance. He moved me to the couch, pillows under my head, ripped open my shirt, pressed the towel on the wound, taped my chest to keep the pressure on the wound. Call the ambulance, Helen. She didn't respond. He seized the phone.
2: Put down the phone, Philip. Helen. Helen, why are you pointing
5: the gun at me? Put down the gun.
4: She lowered the gun to her side. He went to her. My eyes closed. I struggled against the blackness flooding my mind. I struggled as the blood trickled from my wound to listen.
5: Helen, don't you hear me? Answer me, answer me.
2: Uh, uh, Why did you slapped me, Philip.
5: Helen, do you know what you've done? What
2: what have I done? You've shot him. Who? Your husband, Professor
5: Baker. We've got to call an ambulance, Helen. His pulse, his pulse is... Will... Will he live? The ambulance, Helen.
2: He won't live, will he? I can see it in your face, Philip. He won't live.
5: He'll die if he doesn't get to the operating room.
2: I want him to die. What did you say? I want him to die!
0: Well, I must say, I'm surprised too. But then, Helen's probably like most women. Not always mean what they say or say what they mean, huh? Wonder what's really on her mind. But she's in good hands. With a doctor in the house. I'll be back shortly with Act Three.
3: When you say but, wiser. When you say but, you've said a lot of things nobody else can say. When you say Bud, you've gone as far as you can go to get the very best. When you say Bud. you've said the word that means you like to do it all. When you say Bud. It means you want the beer that's got a taste that's number one. When you say but, you tell the world you know what makes it all the way. When you say but, you say you care enough to only want the king of beer. You've
1: said it all. anheuser Bush, St. Louis. People who fly a lot get to know the difference between one airline and another. And it's these frequent flyers who tell us they're more comfortable flying on TWA. What is comfort on an airplane? It's Coach on our wide-body 1011, where all seats are two across. It's 1011 first class, where seats swivel around so you can talk or have dinner with friends. TWA Comfort is a roomy 747 with contoured seats you can sit in for five hours without getting fidgety. And Comfort is the TWA twin seat in 707 Coach, which lets you fold down the middle section if nobody's there and sit two across instead of three. On long TWA flights, you'll also have a choice of meals and
0: movies on movie flights. But above all, you'll be comfortable. That's what TWA Ambassador Service is all about.
1: Only TWA flies the wide-body 1011 to Los Angeles and the big, comfortable 747 to San Francisco. Call your travel agent or TWA for reservations.
0: seem we left both Helen and Dr. Simpson in a state of shock, not to mention our bleeding Professor Baker and that hysterical Chi-Chi. Let's rejoin them and see whether there's help for any of them. I don't want him to die. Listen
5: to me, Helen. You must let me call the ambulance. Don't you see? We must. If he dies here, the police will want to know why we didn't call the ambulance. The,
2: the police? Yes,
5: Helen. The police will want to know.
2: Oh, Philip. Hold me.
3: I'm so mixed up.
2: Come, come. Sit down.
5: Lean back. Just try to relax. Put the gun on the floor. I'll call the hospital. this is Dr. Philip Simpson.
2: Yes, doctor.
5: I need the ambulance trauma team at once. 47 Edgecliff Road, critical chest wound, gunshot.
2: Yes, doctor. I'll put it right through.
5: Now, Now, I want you to call the police, Helen. The police? Yes, they'll be here soon anyway. They're always alerted about requests for an ambulance, but I want you to call them for the record. It will be important at the trial. I'll get them on the phone. You talk.
2: Sergeant Peters. Oh, this This is Mrs. William Baker, 47 Edgecliff Road. I want to report that I just shot my husband. <coughs> what will I tell them when they get here? Philip? You
5: don't have to answer any questions tonight. I'll have the law firm of Kendall Prentice represent you. They're specialists in forensic medicine. But,
2: the Chinese gong in the dining room
5: it's Chi Chi imitating what I did <laughs> Chi Chi stop that you hear me stop that let me have it Chi Chi come here drop it drop it let go let go of it or I'll break your paw. <sighs> those capuchin monkeys they want to imitate every new thing they see Chi Chi go sit down in that corner go on And stay there. They're intelligent, but they can be very trying. Chi-Chi is... Chi-Chi is acting strangely tonight. Usually obeys a command immediately.
2: Well, perhaps Chi-Chi's nervous system has been affected by... by what's happened here. Perhaps its brain has intercepted some of William's energy messages.
5: Nonsense, Helen. That's impossible. I mean, Chi-Chi can sense excitement and tension in a room, but as for intercepting Professor Baker's energy messages, uh uh-uh. I'd I'd better check his pulse. Weak. Very weak. What's keeping that angry?
2: Taylor! Chi-Chi's got the gun!
5: Chi-Chi! Chi-Chi! Let me have that gun! Now, Chi-Chi, now you be a nice boy. Put, Put the gun on the floor. Good boy, good boy. Thank you, Chi-Chi. Thank you. I'll go back in the corner and please stay there. I'll put the gun in the desk. I think we both need a brandy. Would you like one, Helen?
2: Oh, yes, please.
5: Here, dear. Now just, just sip it. <laughs> Tell me, Helen. Did, did you know what you were doing when you pulled the trigger?
2: What, what do you think, Philip?
5: I don't know what to think yet. You've got to tell me, Helen. Did you know what you were doing? You pulled the trigger after I struck the gong.
2: Yes. I know.
5: You... You knew? You deliberately murdered him.
2: Murder? I shot him because he told me to. He made me do it. But if you knew...
5: If you knew what you were doing, the police will call it murder.
2: Look, I, I told you I knew what I was doing, but I won't tell the police.
5: What what will you tell them?
2: That, that the experiment, the, the great Professor Baker's experiment, was a success. Wait a minute, you knew about the experiment? You knew? Yes, every step of it. I knew about the notebook. I read every entry, every day. I knew exactly what he was up to. But the... The police will read the notebook and they'll understand. They'll understand. You,
5: you murdered him,
2: Helen. I, I never loved him. I was beginning to hate him.
5: It he... doesn't matter now, Helen. I prefer to conclude that you did not know what you were doing. That the experiment did unbalance your mind. I think the district attorney will accept that.
2: Accept what, Philip?
5: That when you pulled that trigger... It was insanity.
2: Oh no! No, I won't be declared insane. No! Helen oh, no! Look, I'll show them the notebook. They'll understand. They'll read it in his own handwriting. How how night after night while I was asleep. He, he tried to make me shoot him. They'll understand. Unless you tell them differently. Unless you tell them I murdered him.
5: Helen. Helen, please listen to me. Try to understand what I'm telling you. The police will never believe that Professor Baker's experiment was a success. They'll call in scientists to testify that no such thing is possible. They'll suspect that you used your knowledge of the experiment to kill your husband.
2: Yes, but you, you were a witness. You can verify what happened.
5: Yes, but... The...
2: You tell them that I murdered him?
5: No. No, 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 oh. The only honest opinion I can give them is that your mind snapped. Oh. That day by day, the knowledge of your husband's secret experiment preyed on your mind... And you became convinced, in a moment of temporary insanity, that he really wanted you to kill him.
2: Will will they believe that?
5: I hope the jury will.
2: Help me, Philip. You must help me. I'm so tired. I'm so mixed up.
4: As I lay there on the couch, still, my eyes closed. Aware that under the blanket, my blood was still slowly trickling into the towel. Fighting against slipping off into unconsciousness. I could still hear their voices as from a great distance.
2: You must help me. I'm so tired. I'm so mixed up. My poor
4: darling. And then I was aware of Chi Chi at the side of the couch. Bending over me. Its breath close to my face. My eyelids... Heavy with weariness, lifted slightly, and through the thin slit of vision, I saw Chichi's plastic skull. I could see plainly through the plastic skull the gray mass of nerve tissue of the cerebellum. And then, summoning every last bit of strength of will, I concentrated on Chichi's brain. Chichi, the gun in the desk. <laughs> what have I done,
3: Philip? you two have ruined your career?
4: Go to the desk, Chi-Chi. In the drawer, the gun. I could see its gray eyes staring at me, trying to grasp what I was telling him. And then he jumped on the desk, pulled open the drawer, and took out the gun. Chi-Chi! Put it down, Chi-Chi! Philip, charge to the desk. Chi Chi eluded him, leaped to the mantel over the fireplace. Drop the gun, Chi Chi, drop it! Philip chased it all over the room, it knocked over the table and It jumped to the hanging ceiling light fixture, waving the gun playfully. Chi Chi, point the gun at the mirror. At the mirror, Chi Chi. Drop it, drop it! Give me the gun, Chi Chi! At the mirror! Pull the trigger.
3: Give me the gun, Chi Chi! Helen
4: was reaching towards Chi Chi. Chi Chi was pointing the gun at her. I didn't want Helen to die. I summoned every last ounce of will and sent a mental message to Chi Drop the gun, Chi Chi. Drop the gun. Look out, Helen! Help! Good Lord. Helen. Helen. Answer me, She Helen. didn't have a chance. She was shot in the head.
2: Oh, oh, my child. Darling, oh, my darling. Oh
4: you
5: must not die, Helen. You must not die. Helen, I love you. Oh, my
4: chi Chichi was at the door at the garden in a panic, trying to open the door, the gun still in his hand. Philip grabbed the fireplace oh. poker... Swung it on Chi Chi's plastic skull. It glanced off and fell out of his hands. You? Philip picked up a chair, threw it at Chi with all the strength of his fury. It crashed through the glass. Chi Chi jumped through the opening. Philip picked up the poker, went after Chi Chi. I could hear Philip chasing him across the flagstones of the patio. I heard the police car. I could hear Philip shouting. Chi Chi! Then still, deathly still. I lost consciousness until I became aware of someone talking on the telephone.
5: Yes, Lieutenant. Two dead. Mrs. Baker in the house and a Dr. uh, Philip Simpson in the woods back of the house. Yeah. One bullet in each of them. John says Dr. Simpson was pretty far gone when he found him. Says he tried to tell him something. John thinks it was something about uh, a monkey still running around out there with a loaded gun. It beats me too, Lieutenant. No, no, nothing else. Oh, yes, uh, we found a black skullcap hanging on the chandelier. That's what I said skullcap, odd shaped thing. Can't figure out what it's for, no. Right. Oh, better get that ambulance out here fast. Professor may still have a chance. Here it comes now, Lieutenant.
4: That's how it happened. Exactly how it happened. The police are still puzzled. Chi-Chi, you will probably find roaming the woods, the gun, somewhere nearby chi did it. Tell the police. Chi-Chi did it. Why, perhaps it was mimicking Helen after it witnessed her shooting me. I shall never know. As, as for whether my wife murdered me willfully or suffered temporary insanity or was influenced by my mental energy. You must judge for yourself after you read the full record of the experiment in the notebook. Yes. Go tell the police and Professor Seligson. You can locate him through the American Society of University Professors. Tell them I decided to communicate the foregoing. Just an hour ago, when I heard the operating team give me up.
0: And they say dead men tell no tales. Talking about the brain, though, let me give you men a tip. If your wife is trying to talk you to death, don't worry... Master the secret of mind over chatter. But seriously, a guy I know didn't even answer his wife. She threatened to divorce him because he was unsociable. So he hit her over the head with a mashie. Told the jury he wanted to be clubby. I'll be back shortly. Amco Transmissions, may we help you?
2: I hope so. My frisky Ford is making funny noises. Oh, like what? Like this.
1: Hey, that's great.
2: You mean everything's
1: okay? No, no, I was admiring your car sounds. As for your Ford, ma'am, well, I'd have to look at it and tell you exactly what's wrong. But I can say of the three million automatic transmissions AMCO serviced, over 900,000 of them were Fords. You can
2: cure my buses?
1: Oh, you bet. We've gotten stranger sounds than that out of.
2: Ford
3: Torino and the Maverick and the Mustang and the Pinto and the
1: LTD. Rest assured, we'll get rid of your buses. Oh,
3: terrific. I'll zoom... Excuse me. Right
1: down. Nobody knows your automatic transmission better than Amco. Double A... M-C-O. There are over 500 Amco centers coast to coast. Consult your yellow pages for the Amco
0: center near you. Double A-M-C-O. Amco. Our cast included Roger DeKoven, Bryna Rayburn, and Nat Poland. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. Radio Mystery Theater was sponsored in part by Anheuser-Busch Incorporated, brewers of Budweiser. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams.
1: WOR Mystery Theater was brought to you by ShopRite Supermarkets, where you get a lot more for a little less, and by Suburban Savings with offices throughout North Jersey. The preceding Mystery Theater program was furnished by the CBS Radio Network.
6: I'm Fulton Lewis in Mutual Broadcasting System Studios in Washington, D.C. Now, my commentary. The staff of the Senate Watergate Committee says that the weight of the evidence before it tends to establish that former Attorney General John Mitchell did approve the plans that led to the original Watergate break-in. Convicted Watergate conspirator G. Gordon Liddy is alleged to have used large sums of money provided by the Committee for Re-election of the President to finance that break-in, and the wiretapping at the Democratic National Committee headquarters in the Watergate Hotel and Office Complex here in Washington A draft report of the Watergate staff's conclusions also said that available facts can only support the conclusion that payments made to the Watergate defendants by White House aides were intended only to keep them silent as to the involvement of other persons in the Watergate break-in or other activities embarrassing to the White House. All those conclusions were made available by a source close to the committee who emphasized that they are based on a rough draft prepared mainly by Watergate Committee Counsel Samuel Dash and do not represent any final conclusions that the seven senators on the panel may eventually draw. The draft report states the committee finds that the weight of the evidence tends to establish that former Attorney General John Mitchell did approve the Liddy Intelligence Plan with a quarter-million-dollar budget in Key Biscayne on March 30th of 1972. The draft report also states that the staff has found no evidence to support President Nixon's claims, as reported in his statement of May 22, 1973, that he personally withdrew his approval of a widespread and covert intelligence-gathering plan offered by White House aide Tom Charles Houston. But the staff report said that the Houston plan, which called for the creation of an interagency domestic intelligence unit, Authorized to commit break-ins and even open private mail and plant listening devices was never, according to the committee records, never implemented. The staff report also said no legal justification on national security grounds could be found for the burglary of the office of the psychiatrist of Pentagon Papers burglar Dr. Daniel Ellsberg. The draft reports of the staff finds it difficult to accept the claim of former White House domestic advisor John Ehrlichman that the Ellsberg break-in was not carried out without his express knowledge and authorization. The 170-page draft report will be discussed by the seven Watergate senators in an executive session on Thursday morning. The public issuance of that report today by the staff member, though, I think confirms the worst suspicions about the Senate Watergate committee It is outrageous to say the least that a group of staff members of any Senate committee could issue such damaging statements about anyone, in effect indictments. That, of course, is the job of the judicial branch of government, where a person who is accused can confront and cross-examine his accusers. White House lawyer James St. Clair formally informed U.S. District Court Judge John Sarika today that President Nixon will turn over no more Watergate tapes, and Special Prosecutor Leon Jaworski said that he would continue the court fight to get those tapes. Judge Sarika himself issued a statement after a meeting in his chamber saying that he would meet with the lawyers in the case on Friday to map out the impending court battle. St. Clair announced at the White House yesterday that attempts at working out a compromise over Jaworski's subpoena for tapes and documents covering some 64 White House conversations had been terminated and that the president would fight the case all the way to the Supreme Court, if need be. The chief counsel for the House impeachment inquiry said today that the White House has definitely not given the House Judiciary Committee the full Watergate story, and that he will recommend issuing additional subpoenas to obtain further evidence. Counsel John Doerr made the statement when he was asked at a news conference about that statement of yesterday by St. Clair, that, quote, as far as Watergate is concerned, the president has concluded that that full story is now out. St. Clair had also announced the president's decision to give no more Watergate tapes or documents to the Judiciary Committee. Committee Chairman Peter Rodino said that the panel will take the president's refusal to supply additional material under consideration. Possibly next week will address itself to the issuance of a subpoena. Michigan Republican Representative Edward Hutchinson, the senior Republican on the committee, said that he remains opposed to any further subpoena. Hutchinson declared, I just don't think a subpoena is enforceable. He voted against issuing a subpoena last month. The subpoena, however, was approved by a vote of 34 to 3 by the panel. Hutchinson today added, whatever we get, I think we're going to have to get through negotiation and through discussion, not through subpoena. In another Watergate-related development, the White House did acknowledge today that there might be periods of silence in some of the Watergate tapes that were transcribed and edited for the Judiciary Committee, but it said all the words which could be heard are reflected in the transcripts. In the meantime, a Jesuit priest who serves on the White House staff said today that suggestions that President Nixon's Watergate tapes disclose a degree of immorality are, in his words, erroneous, unjust, and contain elements of hypocrisy. Dr. John McLaughlin made his comments at a news conference that was arranged by the White House in an apparent attempt to counter rising criticism resulting from the recently released transcripts of those White House conversations. Yesterday, as you recall, Senate Republican Leader Hugh Scott of Pennsylvania said that those transcripts reveal, in Scott's words, A deplorable, shabby, disgusting, and immoral performance by each of those who participated in the discussions. A cross-section of religious leaders and ethics specialists said that the edited conversations reflect a contempt for fairness and truth. McLaughlin said that his comments were not aimed directly at Senator Scott, whom he described as a venerable and revered figure in American politics, but he said to criticize the president on moral grounds is unjust. And politically ten- been politically erroneous because he contended the president's role in seeking world peace shows that he is a man of great moral leadership. Father McLaughlin said today, the President is not a god living on Mount Olympus. He is a human being with human imper- imperfections like you and like me. The profanity that was deleted from the transcripts of the president's conversations, he said, should be viewed as a form of emotional drainage, a form of therapy, a form of release. McLaughlin joined the White House staff as a speechwriter back in 1971, and now as a special deputy assistant who describes himself as an advisor, a fact-finder, and a presidential spokesman. The question about the president's consideration of the payment of hush money to Watergate defendants McLaughlin today said the transcripts show that the president never authorized any such payments. But he said the president's discussion of the matter with since-fired White House counsel John Dean was part of a chief executive's right to reasonably entertain all options in considering problems. Holler McLaughlin said that he agreed that the presidency has been enfeebled by the continuing controversy over Watergate. But he added, quote, I cannot contemplating contemplate any set of circumstances where President Nixon would resign. He said he opposed the original release of the Watergate tapes to the grand juries because he wouldn't he knew it would lead to continuing demands for access to private presidential files. Father McLaughlin today said it's like losing your virginity the next time is a little easier. William E. Simon was sworn in today as the nation's new Secretary of the Treasury. He promptly called for a new political will in the fight against the nation's soaring inflation rate. A former New York bonds trader said inflation will be his number one problem and project, and he urged the cooperation of the administration and the Congress in helping to solve inflation. He. President Nixon joked that Simon evidently was practicing productivity in his own personal life, a reference to the fact that six of the seven Simon children sat in the front row and, uh, uh, during the swearing-in ceremony. Simon has said he believes the answer to the nation's inflation problem is increased productivity, combined with restrained government spending and other moderate monetary and fiscal policies. The White House, whose casual press release type announcement of Simon's nomination three weeks ago raised some eyebrows, pulled out all the stops for today's ceremony in the White House East Room, which included music by the Marine Bath. Up on Capitol Hill, meanwhile, seven full months after the energy crush started, the Senate finally started opening debate on legislation to reduce the fuel shortage without addressing the problems of rising petroleum prices. The bill under consideration is a modified version of one vetoed on March 6th by the President, who objected to a provision in it rolling back crude oil prices. The Senate then refused to override the presidential veto. The current bill is chiefly sponsored by Senator Henry Jackson, the Washington Democrat, chairman of the Senate Interior Committee. It would give the new Federal Energy Administration power to implement conservation programs, subject to a veto by either house of the Congress. The F.E.A. also would have authority to set up a standby program for rationing gasoline and other petroleum products subject to the same veto provision. The F.E.A. was created under a bill that was signed just yesterday by the President to replace the old Federal Energy Office, which, as you recall, was headed by William Simon, sworn in today as Secretary of